Good afternoon once again, church. Um, I'd like to echo the sentiments of uh, David earlier and welcome Wesley, Andre's brother. It's good to have you here and I hope that you in, enjoy your, your stay here in Ireland. And now that uh, Wesley is here, the countdown is on. <laughs> uh, we're getting very, very close to the wedding now. Um, <clears throat> we'll also notice that um, I'm, I'm not alone uh, this Sabbath, I have my friend Laura uh, with me, uh, who's visiting uh, Northern Ireland for the first time. Um, I, it's fair to say, I think uh, Laura's seen all seasons of weather since she's got here. Um, there's been hail, there's been some rain, there's wind and sun, um, even in the space of an hour. And I'm really not joking. <laughs> it's been quite serious. But uh, Laura is um, Laura's many things to me. Uh, rude, first of all, but she's very rude. I've, I haven't experienced such rudeness in such a while, but uh, Laura's many things to me, but amongst those things, she's my theatre buddy. Um, so you know that I've said that I, I like to go to the theatre, I like to watch musicals, and I would say maybe 50%, between 50 and 75% of the, th- the musicals that I've watched have been with Laura. Um, so that's, that's our thing, that's what we like to do. And so, Laura, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this publicly, and I probably won't say this again, but I value your friendship, and you mean a lot to me. And I, um, I'm grateful that you are here, and um, I hope that you in, enjoy your time here. So we are um, in the book of Acts. We're continuing our, our series in Acts, and um, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to skip ahead um, in the story. So what I want to do next week after the potluck um, lunch is to focus on Acts chapter 2. So um, I'm going to give you some homework this week. Amen. Uh, if you could uh, be prepared for the study next week so to read Acts uh, chapter 2, and we'll be um, unpacking that and going into uh, Pentecost and the, the gift of the coming of the Holy Spirit a bit more. Um, I didn't feel that I could cover it all in, in one sermon uh, this, this afternoon. So uh, next week we're going to look at Acts chapter 2. Um, for context, uh, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 3, just to get some background. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. And then our scripture reading, which will be Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. So Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. And then Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. And it reads, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful to ask alms for those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, 
walking, leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And then our scripture reading, Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. The title for the presentation this afternoon is They Had Been With Jesus. Shall we bow our heads? Our Lord and Father, we come before you once again and we pray that uh, you would uh, be with us in these next few moments. Uh, Lord, we're not here just for information. We want transformation. So Father, we pray that you would uh, encourage us this day, that uh, we would start to make changes, Lord. Lord, I need to hear this sermon just as much as everybody else, and I, I pray that each of us would take something away uh, from the words that uh, you want us to hear today. This is my prayer, God, in your name. Amen. People always have something to say, don't they? They always make a comment, they make a snap judgment, and they offer an opinion that nobody asked them to offer. I remember when I first uh, came here, uh, somebody introduced me uh, and it wasn't from anybody in this church. Let me just get this clear. There was nobody from here. So, somebody intro, introduced me and they said, uh, this is Curtis, the new pastor of Banbridge. And the person uh, took my hand and she said, you're black. That was the first words that come out of her mouth. I kid you not. You're black. And I, I, in those moments, I kind of think to myself, should I say something? But uh, I wanted to say, well... Last time I looked in the mirror this morning, I was, but thank you for clarifying that for me. (laughs) People always have something to say. Uh, And pastors have this problem as well. Not necessarily this one, but sometimes pastors can't help themselves. A pastor went out one Friday to visit his church members. And at one house, it was obvious that somebody was home. But nobody came to the door, even though the preacher knocked a few times. He expected them to open the door, but they didn't. So he couldn't just leave it there. He had to say something. So he took out his card, and he wrote on the back of it, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, and stuck it in the door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. Uh, So the next day in church, the card that he left turned up in the offering plate. And below the preacher's message was the following. Genesis 3 verse 10. I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked (laughs) and I hid myself. People always have something to say, don't they? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Do people say things about you? I never see them Or when they come, I can never get them to leave. They put on too much makeup or they don't put on enough. Lol. Are you sure you 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 should be dating that person? 
Shouldn't you know better than that? I thought I told you not to do that. You're too boring. You're too lazy. You have too much fun. You're going to burn yourself out. You're too liberal. You're too conservative. You're too this. You're too that. Oftentimes we can go places and people will size you up and decide based on your dress, your disposition or even your accent whether they are going to like you or not. We leave impressions wherever we go. And so today we're going to uh, look at what was said about a couple of the disciples in the book of Acts and spend a few moments reflecting on what was said. The book of Acts is like God's documentary of what happens when a human life, what happens to a human life when we place our characters at the feet of Jesus. In Acts chapter 3 we find an interesting scene. In the previous chapter, we, see, we saw the Holy Spirit moving in a big way. But now Pentecost is behind them, and the church, but the church is still growing. The disciples have been baptizing, and people have been joining the church right, left, and center. And there's a buzz around Jerusalem. And it's here that we see Peter and John. Peter and John are going to the temple, to church, to pray together. Now... Peter and John probably didn't even like each other. You can imagine the church folk looking on saying, is that really Peter and John going to church together? Somehow in my mind, I can't see the brash and impetuous Peter getting along with one of the sons of thunder. The chemistry just wouldn't have been right. They were probably at odds with each other. John, referring to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved and He probably teased Peter about drinking salt water when walking on the water with Jesus. They probably weren't the best of friends. But they recognised that the ministry of reconciliation needs to happen with the individuals before anybody can be reached for Jesus. The church should and always be at the forefront and leading in what it means to be reconciled. We can talk about evangelism until we're blue in the face, but first of all, we need to be showing people what it means to get along. One of the most powerful demonstrations of evangelism, despite our sins and our faults, is that by the grace of God, we get along with each other. We need to get along before we can bring people along. Let me say that again. We need to get along before we can bring people along. And so Peter and John, they walk into the temple and enter a time of prayer. And there is someone pulling on their coattail. And as they look down, the the Bible paints a troubling picture. It's a lame man who is begging by the gate beautiful. Can you see the irony here? He is begging by the gate beautiful, but his story is anything but. He's never gone for a walk after that delicious Sabbath lunch. He's never played football and imagined scoring the winning goal in the FA Cup final. He's been lame since birth. He can never walk his daughter down the aisle because he's been lame since birth. And the funny thing is, he asks, it's for money. Silver and gold. Silver and gold, he cries out for. He asks for money when he is in the presence of healing. And so Peter and John, they look at him and they say, my brother, we don't have what you are asking for, but we have something that is so much better than silver and gold. I don't have silver and gold, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Church, the same power, 
that Peter and John had is available to us today. We don't need a a mamby-pamby Christianity because we too could be filled with power. Those children that we are praying for, the sickness that we are pleading God over, the co-worker that is getting on your nerves, if we were to get on our knees, we could get this kind of Peter and John power. This isn't any kind of power, this is spiritual power. And spiritual power moved on this man. And this lame man who has never experienced what it means to jump and to praise God, never experienced what it means to stand up without assistance, all of a sudden these legs that have been stoic and static for so long were able to stand up. What once was bound was now loosed. He's so happy he starts doing a dance all over the church. And nobody can stop him because when God has done something for you when, he, when he has blessed you, you can't contain it. He doesn't care what people think about him because he understands that he's been delivered from his situation. And even if he was going to praise God all by himself, he was prepared to do so. So the people see this, and they start to wonder amongst themselves, how in the world did this happen? Where did Peter and John get this power from? The Bible says that the people marveled at their power. And so, in spite of this wonderful miracle, this amazing act, the people were troubled and their reaction, their reaction was to throw Peter and John into jail. They had done no wrong, but they ended up in jail. And they were called the next day after spending the day in the night in prison to stand before the Sanhedrin, the, the members of authority, the church leaders, the educated men. They see Peter and John and they were probably wondering if this was the same Peter and John who they last saw running away from Jesus like school children. But thank God between Calvary and Pentecost something had happened. And so they asked them, how have you been able to do this? And Peter begins his explanation. He is eloquent, he is courageous, and he fears no man. And they are puzzled. They don't get it. The religious authorities, they are perplexed. How is it that uh, these ordinary, uneducated, common men could know so much and do so many great things? How could they speak with such authority? And it's here where we get to our scripture reading and where we get to what I really want to focus on today. I don't know who it was, but somebody cottoned on to what was happening and he says, these men, these men have been with Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but this text excites me. They have been with Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful thing to be able to say about somebody? that you know from the speech of this person, from the way that they treat people, the way that they behave, that they don't conform to worldly or society values, but they are different because they have been with Jesus. The authorities looked at these men and realised that they had been with Jesus. This explained their behaviour. Suddenly it all made sense. So the question for us this afternoon is, do others know that you have been with Jesus? Do those in authority know that you've been with Jesus? Do your friends know 
that you have been with Jesus? Does your family know that you have been with Jesus? Uh, There are people in our lives whose marriages are falling apart. There are homes in turmoil. Uh, The doctors are giving some of the people that we know no hope. Uh, There are those in our towns, in our streets uh, that we live. They're all desperate, in need of someone who has been with Jesus. So, have you been with Jesus lately? It's fascinating to me that the teachers come to this conclusion about Peter and John. Uh, Peter, when he was speaking, he spoke with boldness, with authority, and they recognized them as followers of Jesus. They not only saw Jesus in them, but they heard Jesus in the words that they spoke and the miracles that they were able to perform. But for a moment, let's reflect on their journey so that we can reflect on ours. Because it wasn't always like this for Peter and John. They had less than stellar beginnings. When Jesus needed them the most, they abandoned him. And some of us, in the same way, may have had less than stellar beginnings on our walk of faith. We have had some serious hurdles to overcome. The refiner's fire has been white hot for some of us. And the crosses that we have had to carry have been no joke. But God sees past our deficiencies and our defunct characters. And he sees diamonds in the rough. He doesn't just look at us as we are. He sees us as we could be. God doesn't just overlook Peter and John's flaws. uh, But he overlooks yours and mine also. I would even go as far as to say that God has telepathic x-ray vision. I'll say that again, telepathic x-ray vision. He sees virtues and qualities in us that we don't even see in ourselves. So what do we need to do? Well, we need to have authentic time with God. It's not time that can be rushed. It's time that needs to be set aside time that is worthwhile and and don't be deceived there's a difference between being around Jesus and being with Jesus there's a difference between being around Christians and being with Jesus Uh, being around Christian events and being with Jesus being around the church and being with Jesus is being with Jesus a real goal and priority for our week when Sunday comes around if we are honest with ourselves We take a trouble-not-the-master approach. I'm busy, I'm working, I just can't fit it into my schedule. Yes, you may be busy, but there is no substitute for spending time with Jesus. Are we including time and space in our our planners, in in our diaries, to pray, to study, to do like Jesus did and come away from the crowd and spend time with the Father? Let's be honest. It's easy for things to slip. And we fall back on that default response. God knows my heart. Well, he may have known your heart on January the 1st, 2015, but have you checked in with him since? It's something I think we could all improve on. But here's the thing. When you get into the presence of God, when people get into the presence of God, they cannot help but be changed. For you see how unworthy and how sinful you are. And it has to change you. 
And spending this quality time with Jesus can only impact what we do for the better. Not in some glorifying, self-glorifying way, but that when we minister, we have first been empowered. We have first been filled. So that ministry is not about what I do or what the elders do. Ministry is about individuals sharing the overflow of what they have received from God and self is out of the picture. We want to be a people who are filled with power. I'm talking about God is working so powerfully in your life that your boss is afraid to fire you. That sick folk call for us uh, because when we pray, something happens. That we become so connected with God that the atmosphere changes whenever we come into the presence of others. If we lack power, we need to learn the lesson of Peter and John. That if you stay at the feet of Jesus, he will give you power. He will give you transformation. Peter and John recognised that they couldn't do it by themselves. They needed a spiritual makeover. And the only place that they could get it was at the feet of Jesus. Jesus wants to give us the same opportunity. What I did for Peter and John, I can do for you. What was different about Peter and John? It was three things. What they said, how they treated others, and their boldness. The confidence that they spoke with. So what we say, how we act, will determine if we have been with Jesus or not. And let's be honest, we know when somebody is different. When somebody doesn't treat you like you should be treated. When they go over and above the call of duty. You know this This isn't just anyone. This is a Jesus-impacted person. You know you can tell uh, that Jesus has had an effect on this person's life. And we want people to be able to identify this in us. God is also looking for people with courage. People who are going to serve God and who are not ashamed about it. You know, I don't like to tell people that I'm a pastor when I meet them, I say I'm a Seventh-day Adventist pastor and they say, what's a Seventh-day Adventist adventurer? And it's like, oh no, forget it. It's not like that. But even I perhaps need to look at things differently and use opportunities to start more intentional conversations. This is something that we can all do better. They have been with Jesus. What a wonderful thing to say about somebody. There is something pure and inspiring in the early church and it's something that we've been trying to recapture ever since but at the heart at the center of it are people who had been with Jesus and who were ultimately affected and inspired by Jesus yes people are going to talk about us they always have and they always will we can't stop that but how amazing would it be if, that, if what the feedback, the resounding feedback from our members, from our families, was that uh, we have been with Jesus. That people know from the way that we act and the way we behave and the speech and the content of our speech, that they all demonstrate that we have been with Jesus. We can't stop people from talking about us, but let, let's get them talking about the right thing. I find this phrase such a challenge and yet such an inspiration. They have been with Jesus. 
it is inspiring to know that the source of the disciples' boldness and confidence was not anything in themselves, but this was a direct result of the time that they had spent with Jesus. By living with him and communing with him, they became like him. For three years they sat at his feet and followed him from town to town and acted as his deputies. And for three years, without them even realising it, they became increasingly like him. They walked with the wise and they became like the wise. And we too can be with Jesus by communion with him in the word. And this is the challenge for us. If we wish to be like Jesus, we first need to be with Jesus. There's a famous quote from Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi, and he says, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. This cannot be the case for us. How can Christians be unlike Christ? We need to be purposeful and proactive about spending time with Jesus so that we are Christians who are like Christ. If I ever, I don't think I'll ever preach a more simpler message than this in Banbridge. If we want to be Christians, true Christians, we have to be with Christ. To be a Christian is more than a name. If we want to be called that, then we have to spend time with Christ in order to be more like him. Charles Spurgeon once said, a Christian should be a, a striking likeness of Jesus Christ. Wherever we go, whatever we do, we leave an impression. We are called to make an impact for heaven. So the question is, can we make a difference? There's author of a poem called Heartprint. The author's not known, but I'll share it with you now. Whatever our hands touch, we leave fingerprints on walls, on furniture, on doorknobs, dishes, books. As we touch, we leave our identity. Oh Lord, please, wherever I go today, help me to leave heart prints. Heart prints of compassion, of understanding and love. Heart prints of kindness and genuine concern. May my heart touch a lonely neighbour or a runaway daughter or an anxious mother or perhaps a dear friend. I shall go out today to leave heart prints. And if someone should say, I felt your your touch, may that one sense be your love, Lord, touching through me. There There is something that is, this is something that is essential to us all, to try to leave heart prints on people wherever we go, so that all of us are growing in the grace of Jesus Christ. So my brothers and sisters, don't settle for being around Jesus. Don't settle for being around Christians. Don't even settle for being around church. There is no substitute for spending time with Jesus. We want our characters to be more like Jesus. So that this joy, this hope, this grace, this love, this humility uh, came because we have sat at the feet of Jesus. We want people to look at us and say, these children... These Banbridge members, they have been with Jesus.